0: All right. In the words of Tom Schrader, let's do it. That's how he always started his Bible study. Um, so welcome to week, what is this? Week four of A League of Their Own. Uh, I would really counsel you to move in a little closer if you could because we don't have a sound tech and uh, some people complained last time they couldn't hear anything. So does that mean you won't call on us if we move closer? I, I can't guarantee that. Wheeler, you know I'm always getting right. I'm always trying to call on you for something. so yeah, that'll help. So please have your Bibles. That would be really helpful. Uh, and then uh, and open to Judges chapter four. We're going to do judges chapter four and five. Then I'm going to uh, as we go through it, I'll make a few comments about it, but then we'll get Michelle up here and we'll have a little conversation. Uh, And remember, we are recording all of these, so if you don't catch everything, you can always go back and listen to the podcast, what they say is a podcast. It's just a recording on our website. not sure why they call it a podcast. Anyway, uh, Deborah, the Judge Deborah, is considered the high point in the book of Judges, because it's a book that mostly speaks of the failure of the leadership in Israel after Joshua, and how God's people are constantly rebelling against God. So, I'm just going to dive right in, since it is the high point. Verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. This is a common refrain in the book of Judges. Constantly that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They constantly rebelled. Uh, Michelle's going to speak to that a little bit in our conversation. Verses 2 and 3. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So there's just some helpful background information here. Hazor was the dominant Canaanite city in those years. So we're talking... 3,300 years ago, 3,400 years ago. Jabin was likely not the king's proper name, but was rather a title that was given to a Canaanite king. It was a royal title. That's what the scholars seem to say. And this place, Herosheth Hagoyim, uh, it's known as a region in the north that is Gentile or not Jewish. So Hagoyim, the second part of that name, the 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 little prefix ha in ancient Hebrew means the, it's the definite article. And maybe you've heard, maybe some of you have been referenced by uh, Jewish people as goyim. You're a Gentile, you're, you're a non-Jew. So herosheth is like the region or the nation of the Gentiles or the non-Jews. And then this emphasis on iron is also important in this day, some 33, 3400 years ago, iron was the newest technology. And for some reason, Israel's enemies developed it before Israel got on board with it. And in fact, if you read uh, later on more and more about the rise of the Philistines as the arch enemy of, of, of Israel, you know that they, they used iron a lot. And in fact, they were considered iron people. Okay, so Iron Man is not that,
1: not that original,
0: okay, he's, he's just a, he's just a Philistine, so, Um, verses four through seven, now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time, she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel and sit in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came to her for judgment, She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 men, 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and 10,000 from the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Uh, one of the things that's important to understand, again, it, in the way that some of this stuff is written, is it just sounds like Deborah, by this description, was some random woman sitting under a tree talking to people. No big deal. But that's not the case. The, this was a position of authority. This was a position of um, great respect and status. And people came from all over Israel to seek her judgment and then they would live by her judgment whatever that judgment was there was no Court of Appeals there was no stomping of the feet there was no Twitter mob there was no reversal of anything she was she was the judge and that was it and she'd been doing this for quite some time and she didn't just sit under a tree it says that she also went other places as well to be able to do this so she took the judgment on the road as well Now, she's talking, she summons Beric. Uh, Just a general observation, um, and especially based on the social science research that I've read over the last 25 years. Generally speaking, a man's preferred state is hiddenness and passivity, except when it comes to sex and anger. (laughs) The research just shows that that's generally true Although, that has been changing because of the internet, okay, that has been changing. In other words, they found a way to hide the sex and the anger as well. I'm not saying that they're coming out of their shell in all the other areas of their life because of the internet, they've gone further into their shell because of their internet. And by the way, that's not a value state. please understand, there's a difference between a value statement and uh, an observation. That's just an observation. And if, if somebody makes an observation about you and you consider it a value statement, slow down and, and figure out if maybe they're just making an observation that might be helpful to you. But if you take every observation in your life as a, as a value statement, you're, you're gonna, nobody's ever going to want to talk to you. I can just tell you that from experience. Anyway, um, it appears as though Deborah needed to seek out Barak, the leader of the army, and kind of rile them up. But again, um, just in my conversations with Michelle, she wants to speak to that a little bit and give a perspective that is actually going on behind uh, the scenes, um, uh, according to all the research that's been done. So verses 8 through 10. Barak said to her, if you, go, if you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road in which... You are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will send Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak called out Zebulun and Ephtali to Kadesh, and ten thousand men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. That's an interesting paragraph. What do we need to what What do we make of this? Number one, Barak needed a push. We're going to talk about why. Um, he also just said i am kind of tired of being left holding the bag am i going to be holding the bag in, in the end of this i don't want to do that um, Barak's faith was frazzled at this point at best his faith in god was frazzled at best remember sisra and jabin had been uh, oppressing the israelites for 20 years okay and even though Barak would play a large part in the coming victory it was not going to be for his glory, which is the way it should be anyway. Okay. Also, we need to understand the cultural context of this. Uh, this is interesting also that even though Deborah has this place of authority and respect and status, um, in this time and in God's nation, uh, women were routinely raped, abused, and dismissed by men. And so there is there is some some irony here there's a there's a dichotomy if you want to call it that there's just some interesting tension that's going on here and yet Deborah is the one who's been chosen anointed picked by God to get this thing going and notice notice that this is coming in the wake of the people were doing what was evil in the sight of God and the people called out to God okay so maybe they hadn't called out in 20 years either. How many times have you been stuck in sin and you think, well, if I just keep doing this, sooner or later it'll get better, instead of calling out to God? Okay, 12 through 16. I, you don't have to answer that. Thank you. Uh, when Sisera was told that Barak, the son of uh, Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all of his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harosheth Hagoyim, to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from the Mount of Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth Haggaiim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. So is this from which we get the saying, behind every good man is a strong and wise woman? I don't know. Maybe that's a saying from last generation, but I'm old enough to remember that saying. Do you remember that saying? See, Wheeler, that's why I wanted you closer. Remember that saying? Okay. So, so notice, though, now we're getting the focus on God. Does not the Lord go before you? Okay. And and this is one of the major themes of the Deborah story. She is the only one in Israel at the time that seems to be willing to um, stay connected to God and listen to him and then act on on her faith and convictions. Now, now she hasn't exactly gone through a long losing streak, but nevertheless, she's the one that is still convicted about her faith in God and is acting on it. So 17 through 22. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of uh, Heber, the K- uh, Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, in uh, the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So she turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, "'Please give me a little water to drink, "'for I'm thirsty.' So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, "'Stand in the opening of the tent, "'and if any man comes and asks you, "'is anyone here, say no.' But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg, took a hammer in her hand, and she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness.' So, he died. <laughs> I love that line. Uh, that'll leave a mark. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So, she, uh, so he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead, and the tent peg in his temple. You know, there's a little town called Heber, Arizona. Now we know where that... It's an interesting legacy for... A town name. Anyway, uh, Jael is, is also a hero in Judges, but interestingly, she's not an I- Israelite. Um, and she did a little double cross here. Uh, what is the odd detail in this paragraph? Anybody want to shout that out? What's the odd detail? A little switcheroo? She, he asked for water. She gave him milk. Why did she give him milk? Sleepy. Make him sleepy. That's right. How, again, this is a, probably a generational thing, but how many of you, when you were kids and you were having trouble sleeping, your mom would heat some milk up on the stove and make you drink it? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm tired. I'm, not a, yeah, I'm tired. Don't worry about it. It's okay. I'm going to bed. Okay. Um, so remember, Sisera had been oppressing God's people for 20 years. He was due. All right. Now, let's just read chapter 5, and I'll come back and make a couple comments on that. And then we'll get into it with uh, Michelle. But this is, I love chapter 5 of Judges. It is a beautiful song, a beautiful poem. And it's something that I don't think Christians do very well very often, and that is celebrate victories. Even if it means Possibly offending those who have been defeated, which is just just a terrible thing to hurt somebody's feelings. After they engage with you and you defeat them, it's just terrible to hurt their feelings. I say, let's go for it, man. All right. So here's the song, okay? Then sang Deborah Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day. That the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Notice how Deborah is giving credit everywhere. She's not worried about who's getting credit for this. Okay? Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you, sent, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quake before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. She's remembering Exodus there, the Exodus there. She's remembering the walk into the promised land. So again, uh, just the pattern of prayer in the Old Testament is a pattern we should use too. Acknowledge God for who he is and then acknowledge what he's already done for us. That's a great pattern for prayer. And then get into what your requests are and also acknowledge the fact that God is still working in our lives. We talked about that a lot when we were going through uh, Isaiah. Okay. Um, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. The travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as the mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was at the gates was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way, to the sound of musicians as the watering places, at the watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates march the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, break out in song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam, Then down march the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord march down from me against the mighty. From Ephraim, they root their, uh, their route, they march down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Makir, March down to uh, the the commanders, and from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. Princes of Issachar come with Deborah, and Issachar, faithful to Barak, into the valley they rushed at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Why did you just sit still among the shapefolds? To hear the whistling of the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did... He stay in the ships. Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to death. Naphtali too, on the heights of the field. The kings came, they fought. They fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. From heaven, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on, my soul, with might. Then loud beat the horse's hooves with galloping, galloping of, the, of his steeds. Curse Meras, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitant, inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come from, to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be J.L., the wife of Heber the Kenite, of, t- of tent-dwelling women, most blessed he asked for water and she gave him milk she brought him curds in a noble's bowl she sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet she struck sisera she crushed his head she shattered and pierced his temple between her feet he sank he fell by he fell he lay still between her feet he sank he fell where he sank there he fell dead i tried really hard to put that part to music just to sing it to you but i wasn't able to out of the window she peered, the mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is this chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of the chariots? Her wisest princesses answer, indeed she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man, spoil of dyed material for Sisera, spoil of dyed materials embroidered, two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck of a, as, as spoil? So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. Um, Verse 8, look back at verse 8. I think that's a sobering verse. War comes when we walk away from God. War comes when we walk away from God. Uh, And that's physical war, but spiritual war as well. When you walk away from God, you're inviting war. And, and verse 11, she begins to recap the big win, and she does that in the verses going forward. And then you get to those verses 24 through 27, giving credit to Jael. It seems odd content for a song, but, but they're celebrating a victory. This guy had been oppressing Israel for 20 years. Of course they're going to sing of his demise. Um. again, This is not a political statement. It's just an observation, and it's just true. Um, We no longer celebrate the demise of evil. We just don't. In fact, we lament the demise of evil in our culture today. If you don't think that's a problem, just wait, because it's getting worse, and it's, it's accelerating. What a fundamentalist Baptist I am. That's just true. Call me or whatever you want. It's just true. If we don't start celebrating the demise of evil, we're in big, big trouble. Okay? We, we commend evil now. I think that's just, that's a problem. It's sad and it's going to cost us. It already is costing us. Verse 31, and the land had rest for 40 years. You know, it doesn't hurt to follow God. How many of you would like 40 years of rest? I I would, especially after the wedding this last weekend. Could use it. So, a couple last comments about Deborah. Deborah was willing to lead when she was called. Deborah was willing to act on her convictions, no matter what it costs her. Deborah listens to God. She's faithful. She's not afraid of exhortation, either giving it or receiving it. She isn't concerned about who gets credit, and she has a heart of gratitude. Okay, so would you welcome Michelle Hutchins up here? All right, I got to sort of get organized here, Michelle. All right same thing is with uh, Stacy I want to start off by asking uh, who is Michelle Hutchins tell us a little bit about yourself where'd you grow up all that stuff when did you come to faith Uh, did you ever find a decent man in your life you know those kinds of things so
1: so good evening everyone Um, my name is Michelle Hutchins and I was born and raised in Gainesville Florida and my mom's a French Canadian she was a nurse all of her life and she was a devout Catholic and my dad was from South Georgia and he was raised Methodist, so I'd like to say I'm a a Southern Canadian. Um, Let's see, what else? Um, I'm the eldest of three, Um, I have a younger sister, and then I had a younger brother named Herbie who was tragically killed in a car accident coming home uh, for Thanksgiving uh, from his junior year in college. Um, Very shortly after that, the grief was really hard on my family and my parents separated within a year's period of time. Um, I'm married to Kim Hutchins, and on the 8th of this month, we will be married for 30 years. Wow. Yeah. Right. Uh, we have two children. Our daughter, Jacqueline, is a missionary in Osaka, Japan. And our son, John, um, is currently working at TJ's on Lincoln. He's the tallest um, gentleman in the, in the Store So if you see him, say, hello, John. And he's getting ready to launch. Um, and he's a, he's a dear one. And uh, my husband and I, we found Redemption after kind of a long search in 2019 looking for churches. And um, then we decided on uh, Redemption Arcadia. We met with you on a wednesday and signed our papers became members we yeah. went to church on sunday so became members on wednesday went to church on sunday and then monday we got an email saying that the church was closed due to COVID. <laughs> trey trey the youth pastor p- preached that day um,
0: and that's why we had to close yeah
1: <clears throat> <laughs> and kim and i are we are members of the wheeler mason uh small group
0: okay um, I didn't know that about your brother, um, but I do know that um, uh, the the stats on that, the research shows that 90% of married couples uh, separate and divorce after the death of a child. And,
1: that's what and
0: the reason is not because they're necessarily blaming each other, but because the spouse reminds them of their loss, and it's too painful and too hard. So that's, that's, a, that's a sad, tragic thing, but... Um, the result of that is is fairly common. Um, You have some market background, too. You want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: So right after college, I went to work for Martin, Marietta, Orlando Aerospace. It was a big um, aerospace defense contracting company in Orlando. At that time, Orlando had a huge naval base, uh, naval training base, um, where they had the um, submarines, uh, nuclear submarines. And so I worked on a program that was called the Lantern Program, which stood for Low Infrared Vision for Night. It allowed, it was a computer that went to the cockpit of an Apache helicopter and allowed them to fly at low terrains at night with vision goggles. So I did that. And then I went to New York City, and I worked in the financial services industry.
0: Okay. What did you do in the financial services industry?
1: So after a trading day, after the the trades, the traders have traded their trades all day. Um, there's usually cash that's left over. Okay. And, and per SEC laws, all those all those cash reserves have to be 100% invested. So in something. In something, right? Okay. So we would take those cash portions and we would invest them in overseas time deposits or. Um, Short-term money, money market vehicles, whatever, just to make sure that the funds were fully invested. So you were
0: kind of in charge of, of doing that or helping to do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's okay. called
1: yeah, it's called the back office. All the all the fa- fancy, sexy stuff happens at the trading desk, and then we get all the all this make sure everything happens as it's supposed to.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like kind of like church.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: um, all the backroom stuff is is really ha- what what helps it mm-hmm. to run. Yeah. Um, okay. Gee, there, was a couple of, there were a couple of things in there I wanted to ask you about. Oh, yes, I remember. Um, you and Kim, when you got together, this is just personal uh, curiosity. W- weren't you set up or something? Isn't that how you got together or somebody said that you yeah. might be good together?
1: So Kim went to a men's conference in uh, Denver, Colorado. And there was a gentleman that saw him. and went, His name was Greg. And when Greg saw Kim, he said, oh, he and Michelle Make a great couple. So he went up to Kim, and he said, "You know, are you married? Are you dating anybody?" And he said, "No." And he says, "Well, there's this girl in New York City, and I think you would really, really like her." And Kim's like, "Thanks, but no thanks." <laughs> yeah. Well, they struck up a friendship because they were both excellent skiers. Greg comes back out to Denver to go skiing in November, and he said, "Here's her number. You got to call her." And he's like, uh, "You know, I'm not going to call some girl that's living in New York City. and just, you know." But he went home the next month in December, and as he was cleaning out his desk, he found that rolled up piece of paper, and he opened it. It didn't even have my name on it. It just had my number. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, area code 212? Who do I know in area code 212? And he goes, oh, yeah, that's that girl. Greg wants me to call. So on a fluke, he just called. And you know, we talked for about 20 minutes. And And then we both went home for Christmas. And then we started talking and started talking and started talking. And finally, curiosity got the best of both of us. And he came out in February. And on the fourth day, he asked me to marry him. Wow. (laughs) Good job, bro.
0: (laughs) I love that story. Where did you go to college?
1: At the University of Central Florida in Orlando, Florida.
0: Okay, there's like 1,600 colleges in Florida, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. okay. All right. All right, well, let's start with this. What are some of your observations from this text that we just went through? Uh, And I'm sure it's mostly going to be rooted in chapter four. Maybe not, but rooted in chapter four. But um, if you were to teach this story, where would you zero in?
1: So there's so much about Deborah. I had over 26 bullet points on her. There's so much on the Israelites, even jail. But there was very little on Beric. And so I'm kind of tender-hearted for the, the um, underdog. So I started researching <laughs> Barrick And I didn't get 26 bullet points, but I got, I got a bunch. Okay. And so I would zero in on Barrack.
0: And t- t- so tell us, you, you seem to think there are three main characters yeah. in Chapter 4. Israel, uh, Deborah, and Barrick. Right. So t- talk a little bit about that.
1: So I think Beric gets a bum rap. I think he gets this, you know, he, he's a coward, he was a fearful, you know, he said, oh, I'll go if you go, the kind of, you know, skirting on her uh, tailcoats or dress him, so to speak. And, and the more and more I read it, I realized that, well, he was a commander in the army, mm-hmm. you know, he was a commander. So he's been fighting for 20 years, right? And it said that in the Song of Deborah that the enemies were right at the gate. So he's day in, day out, a commander fighting, right? So he, in my, in my humble opinion, he's worn, torn, he's weary, he's exhausted, he's you know tired of fighting, and he's distracted, right? So when you know Deborah comes to him and says, "Hey, you know, let's go, <laughs> let's go to war," he's like, "Wait a minute, you know. I mean, we talked about this. Everything we've been doing so far has not been working, you know." But I think he was perceptive, and this is what I don't think he gets credit for. He knew her position. He knew that she was a prophetess. So he knew that she had the gift of prophecy from God. And she, she was settling disputes for the Israelites. And she, he knew that she was a woman of God. And so I think that he said, well... He was perceptive enough to say well I'll go if you go because you know you've got the Holy One with you and I want that holy alliance
0: because that's the only way he's going to be able to defeat the enemy
1: yeah. mm-hmm.
0: and, and even in the song you know there's this there's that little section there where Deborah's kind of calling out the tribes that didn't participate right uh-huh.
1: yeah. and
0: so uh, and so Baric probably had to deal with that too mm-hmm. um, he, he would need to call, rally people and call people and some of them were just going yeah no thanks. Mm-hmm. Not for me. Um, what about th- this, uh, this cycle that the Israelites always seem to get in? Um, some people would say, well, this is just common knowledge if you just read through the Old Testament. But how many people just read through the Old Testament? But um, it's common knowledge. But um, it's helpful if, if you know what that cycle is and then start to look for it in the text. You begin to see it, and it makes the reading easier. What is, how, how would you describe that cycle of the people of Israel?
1: Um, so there's sin. You know, they start worshiping other gods and then they fall into some some kind of oppression, which these Israelites did for over 20 years. And then there's a repentance and they call out to God for rescue. He delivers them in his grace. And then the cycle repeats.
0: So so they start up here. They're they're connected with God. They're in communion with God. Mm -hmm. Everything's all hunky dory. You know, King Solomon early part of his reign, you know. And then, and then they fall into rebellion and sin. They finally realize that that's not working, so they cry out. Yeah. God somehow finds a deliverer. And, and how many times over centuries does he bring, raise up a, a deliverer? deliverer. Yeah. You know, and then he raises up, of course, the ultimate deliverer, which was, which was uh, Jesus. Right. Okay. Um, here's a touchy question. Should men always be the first option for leadership? Why or why not? There's probably some people out there that would love to answer that but I'm asking you.
1: <laughs> well the text clearly says no. It clearly says that you know Deborah was chosen. Mm-hmm. So and because she was in such close relationship with the God, the Lord because she was you know doing his work and she was filled with his gift of prophecy. She she had she had that connection with him. And so he chose her. So
0: so in this case, in this case, yeah. What about other cases? I mean, um, you know, men are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the household. What yeah. happens when they're not?
1: Um, well, when that happens, usually is somewhere back there looming is the Genesis three is okay. going on, right? Yeah. And so. Um, if we look at it kind of in that context, and the, and the husband maybe isn't you know, coming up into that, to that leadership role, um, I think it's a spiritual battle. I think there's that spirit that's going on, right? And so um, the wife, or hopefully in the context of you know, marriage, um, the wife can speak into that, you know? And just, like you said, there's an observation here. I have an observation. And with, but always I would say do it prayerfully, you know, with with reverence and with respect and with awe and with humbleness. Um, and to give an observation and, you know, how can I help you in this? You know, it seems like you're struggling in this area. How can we do this together? How can we help each other? Um, I, I
0: actually think that, um that's a brilliant answer and I wasn't thinking you were going to go there Um, but you did so let me let me read what you're talking about (laughs)
1: because
0: I think this is really helpful Uh, so just this is Genesis 3 now those of you who have been around here for any length of time how many times have I said if you don't understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3 you're going to really struggle understanding the rest of the Bible Right. Um, Tom Trader used to say if you read Genesis 1 and 2 skip chapter 3 and then read Genesis 4 you're like I must have missed something because the man and the woman are in the garden they're naked and they're not ashamed okay so there's this intimacy that nobody in this room nobody in this world has ever experienced in their lives only Adam and Eve have experienced this okay and then Uh, Genesis four opens with one brother murdering another what happened you know there's something that had to have happened so Mm -hmm. here's what happened now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made and he said to the woman did God actually say to you you shall not eat of any tree in the garden now notice notice this is how the adversary Satan comes at us um you know, Hollywood likes to depict Satan coming at us, you know, breathing fire, looking ugly and all that stuff. The problem with that strategy is anybody is going to look and go, ah, that's a problem, and you're going to get out of there. Instead, Satan comes to us, sidles up next to us, and starts to kind of whisper things in our ear and, and just engage us in a converse, seemingly innocent conversation. He just asks her a question, and the woman, Eve, uh, in the very beginning, she defends God. She's, she's, she's doing good, okay? She said to the serpent, we can eat from any of the trees in the garden, but God said you can't eat from the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, uh, over there in the middle. Uh, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Nobody has any idea why she said neither. There's theories, but she added the part about touching, okay? Um, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open to be like him, knowing good and evil. Uh, uh, Vishal Mangalwadi wrote, wrote a book about 30 years ago called The Old Ideas Behind the New Age. In other words, the New Age is not so new. It's what happened in the garden. You can be God. Okay? Oh, God's holding out on me. So, so that happens. So, verse 6 we have the Trinity of God, Holy Spirit, uh, Son, and Father. This is the triad of temptation. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and it was desired to make one wise. In other words, that I could be superior to everybody else, pride, okay? Uh, She took the fruit and ate, gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The eyes were both open. They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. If you don't know anything about fig leaves, you just need to know that you don't want fig leaves touching your private parts. It's not comfortable. Imagine that as a reminder every time you move of your rebellion against God and they heard the sound of the Lord God work, walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden the Lord called to the man and said where are you he's not geographically challenged he's God he knows where they are this is a spiritual question what have you done okay. he said I heard you, uh, the sound of you in the garden I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself he said who told you you were naked have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat and the man said the woman that you gave me. It's your fault and it's, it's her fault and it's your fault. Okay. First sin, rebellion against proper authority. Second sin, blame shifting. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Yeah. Okay. Um, by the way, I've always wondered, and I'll never have this qu- answer to this question, and, except maybe in the New Jerusalem. W- what if he had said, yeah, I screwed, I confess my sin to you. What, what would have happened then? Anybody didn't. Okay, um, then I imagine God just going you're an idiot then the Lord said God said to the woman what is this that you've done she blamed shifts the serpent deceived me and I ate so here's what you're talking about now so God now pronounces three different sets of curses okay uh, he gives one to the uh, adversary one to the woman one to the man we need to understand that these curses are representative they are not comprehensive if, if um, The person who wrote this people say it's Moses if the person who wrote this had to write down every single way in which the world has been cursed by original sin he would still be writing okay so it's not comprehensive it's just representative of the corruption of the world okay so says to the servant because you've done this cursed are you above all the livestock above all the beasts of the field on your belly you shall go so that's I that's interesting. In other words, the serpent was upright when, it, when he originally came to the man and the woman. Kind of like the Geico Gecko. That's what I... Every time I see that commercial on television, I... They're Satan. don't buy their insurance, okay? So, um, And thus, you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise your heel. Now, this is a curse, but it's also... Verse 15 is also known as the Proto-Evangelion. It's the first good news or the first gospel in the Bible. God is saying, I've already got this figured out. um, uh, The woman's son or offspring, the the coming Messiah, is going to bruise his head even though you're first going to bruise his heel. Bruising uh, a heel means to wound. Bruising your head means to utterly destroy. So Jesus was bruised by going to the cross, but... Uh, Satan was utterly destroyed by the resurrection. So this is, this is the gospel right here in the third chapter of the Bible right after the uh, the curse of original sin. Now here's the curse you're getting to. Okay? Uh, to the woman he said, surely I'll multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you're going to bring forth children. That's not just the act of labor. That's the fact that as parents you have pain all the time. <laughs> Um, because it's you're, because like a kid who dies, you know. That uh, my, my kids are 31 and 27 and there isn't a day that goes by that I'm not worried about them, wondering if they're okay. Um, but then, he says, your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. Um, some, some interpretations just say you will have desire for your husband. But he will rule over you. Uh, that that's that's. I've been to retreats, couples retreats, where I've read this, and somebody always says, "Yeah, I wish she had desire for me." It's like, no, <laughs> you're missing the point. There, this is not sexual. She she has a desire for the power that you hold over her, because you are stronger than her. Okay, you're stronger than her. But he will rule over you. That's a curse. That's two people as you, I've heard you say, um, pushing against the curse mm-hmm. rather than trying to redeem the curse. Right. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. what you're talking about. And then for the man, it's the toil and labor. How many of you think work is kind of hard? Okay, there are things in your job that you don't like to do. Even if you do like your job, there are parts of it you don't like, right? Okay, that's part of the curse. So when you're given something that you don't want to do at work or that you don't like to do, just blame Satan. He, he did this to you, okay, <laughs> through Adam and Eve. Anyway. That's what you're talking about, is this battle that will always go on between men and women. And if you're not aware that this is part of the curse of the original sin, you're going to do things that are unhealthy and unhelpful in the midst of that. So, all right, there you go. It took me 15 minutes to tee you up for that, but please talk about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so, um, you know, the consequence of sin was that it it destroyed relationships, right? Mm -hmm and destroyed the relationship with Adam and Eve. Be- before that, they were, you know, so intimate and so um, vulnerable with each other, right. and so, you know, one with each other, right? That they didn't even realize they were naked. I mean, there's a vulnerability and a tenderness and an int- intimacy that is, you know, beyond human comprehension, right. Now, right? And so that that was broken, you know, when this sin entered the world. Yeah. You know, so that relationship was broken. And then the relationship, with, which is so much more severe, the one with God, was broken. Right. So relationships are a casualty of um, the fall. And I think it plays out in all relationships. And, and the reason that it's so pervasive, or I think it's the reason Satan attacks it so much, is that God is a relational God. He loves us, and He wants us, and He cares for us. So, if Satan can get in there somehow, some way, anyway, and tear down relationship, break down families, you know, have wars with different countries, then you know, He's going to do it. So, um,
0: so the, I just think about how um, part of the one of the casualties of relationship is is uh, a, a breaking of trust. So think about, you you talked about Adam and Eve had this incredibly intimate, vulnerable, uh, wide open relationship. And then it gets broken by sin and the first thing that happens is the man blames the woman, okay? So she must be thinking now, I don't know if I can trust him anymore. Mm -hmm. So does that happen between men and women that they struggle to trust each other?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. absolutely yeah
0: yes. and so you have this break in these in these in these relationships yeah. uh, that are built on trust and that's why we talk so much about grace and forgiveness being a key yeah. to to grace and forgiveness is actually um, trying to redeem the curse right. rather than pressing into the curse in unhealthy ways what are some unhealthy ways that we press into the curse
1: well I think uh, for the men it would be because he was told to till the earth by the sweat of his brow Mm -hmm. so when he does that when he gets up every morning and he goes to work and slays the dragons I call it slaying the dragons and he you know comes home exhausted when he does that he's pushing against the curse you know if he were to stay home and lay on the couch and watch hockey well then you know he's leaning into the curse he would be giving into the curse right so when he does the opposite and it's the same for the woman Um, if she's wanting you know the power and the status and all that comes with you know what she feels her husband has and she wants that and she wants more of it, well then she's giving into the curse. she's not pushing mm-hmm. back away from it.
0: Right. Okay. Uh, trying to live in peace and harmony and to serve each other.
1: Right. And and marriage
0: really is a serving of each other. Totally. Which is supposed to be a picture of Christ in the church.
1: Exactly. Which
0: is also supposed to be a picture of any relationship right. that Christians have with each other.
1: Yeah, and it's right? the, and it's the most most beautiful of examples that we've been given because God, you know, loved us so much that, you know, he sent his son. And the son was submit, submitted. Right. The Lord, I mean Christ submitted to that I want you to die for my people, right? And then he died he'd he asked for it to be taken away yeah. and he asked for that cup so that's submission. so when I think of submission, I think I'm, I'm, get, I'm doing the Christ role, right I get to do the Christ role and then out of that the Lord brought him up mm-hmm. right and now he sits you know in glory with God. and the only way that that can be done is through the power of the Holy Spirit yeah.
0: Now, one of the things you said in there uh, that I'm sort of dealing with, and and I'll I'll have to talk to you about it later, is apparently it's um, it's it's a curse to watch hockey, but we'll deal <laughs> with that later. Um, so, <laughs> for me, this is the most joyous time of the year. And... Okay, so, now very seriously, um, you and I are of an age. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people here probably won't. Know this or remember it, or think it's even kind of odd, but you and I are of an age that we remember what people now call first wave feminism. Yeah. We're in fourth wave feminism now, okay? But we remember first wave feminism, mm-hmm. and it was sort of embodied in. Um, there was a Helen Reddy song.
1: Yeah, I am woman, hear me roar.
0: With numbers too big to ignore, right? Have you heard that song? Okay, uh, there was a uh, a couple of. Ads. Remember the ads? Yeah. Okay. Talk about the, the, the perfume one.
1: Yeah. So um, it's a woman. She's got an iron cast frying pan in her hand. She said, I can bring home the bacon and fry it up in the pan and never, ever let you forget you're a man. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. She, yeah she said, I said, well, that was Anjali. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Anjali perfume. But you do you hear the words? Look, I I can do it all. Yeah. You know, I, I can do the, uh, I can work, I can, I can uh, cook, and I can serve my husband. I can do it all, no problem. Right? No problem, right? Let's see those hands. Didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then you can smoke Virginia Slim cigarettes. Yes. And then the next one was Virginia Slims. Anybody remember that song? You've a long, long way, baby. baby. To get where you've got to today. Yeah. You've got your own cigarette now, baby. <laughs> you've come along, long. You've got your own cigarette. And your own <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, now I I think it's int- we had this conversation. Um, I we laugh at those things, but but really first wave feminism made a lot of sense. Should women get paid for the same job that a man's doing?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: What? Yeah. Should women be able to vote?
1: Yes. We
0: kind of need that. Yeah. Okay, that's first wave feminism. Okay. Now now we're in fourth wave feminism. Okay, fourth wave feminism essentially says uh, we need to just kill all the men. That's what it is. They're, there's, they're toxic, they're the problem with the world, we get rid of all the men, this world's going to have no problems. And, and then the, the end of the human race will be what? About 50 or 60 years later. See, nobody ever thinks ahead on this stuff. But there was a book you told me about a couple days ago. Give me the title of that book, give them the title of that book.
1: So we were talking about the difference between equality and equity. You know, first wave feminism was equality, right? But now we're in um, a culture of equity, right? And an example came to me when I was at the airport and I walked by a newsstand and very prominently and in, in right in front was a book and it was titled How to Date Men When You Hate Men. <laughs> now the, the equivalent of that could not exist. We could not have a book today that said how to date women if you hate women because it would be considered sexist and misogynistic and somewhere in there it would be racist. So that's, <laughs> so that's, not, that's not equality, okay? That's an example of equity right. going amok. Right, and,
0: and you, do you hear the tension in there of okay, okay uh, to be a modern 21st century fourth wave feminist woman, I have to hate men but I kind of want to be around one. (laughs) What do I do with that? Okay, this is unhealthy giving into the curse. Mm -hmm. Okay, whereas scripture comes along and I would argue touts that men and women are equal but different. Mm -hmm. Even Brian Regan said that. Men and women are equal but different. Mm -hmm. Okay, we have different roles. We have different giftings. And the idea is for all of us to submit to one another in those giftings and in those strengths. Okay? But that takes, here you go, that takes humility. And that's the thing we didn't talk about yet about Barak. Yes. He had humility also.
1: He did, right.
0: To be able to do that. Because just a few chapters later in Judges, remember there's that military leader who got too close to the city wall and a woman dropped a millstone on his head. And he's dying and he says to his armor bearer, run me through the sword so it's never said to me that I uh, was killed by a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see that, this is, this is this is the tension that we live in. So there's this, I would say there's this beautiful picture of understanding the strengths of a woman that she can make observations. she can be called by God into a position of leadership and a man can come along and humbly say, that's gonna help, I can lead these men mm-hmm. In terms of military strategy, but you're the one that's going to bring God along, and, and God's going to go before us.
1: Right, and and Deborah needed needed Barak Barak, Barak to carry out God's plan. Right.
0: she needed him just right. like he needed exactly. her. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So there's a complement complementary relationship. Complementary
0: relationship. Okay. Very good.
1: But when when Barak was finally, uh, you know, on board, I mean, he he took the bull by the horns it says he obeyed and he advanced and he pursued and he even went further than the city walls to pursue Sisera that's right um, he did and um and who leading his men mm-hmm. so you know once he got on board you know it, there was no stopping he was all in he was all in yeah. right yeah right.
0: i was too during the song, but like every time one is mentioned the other one is also mentioned I mean like you hear Deborah yeah Yeah, Yeah, they, they were singing the song in the same way that they teamed up to beat uh, uh, Sisra right. and Jabin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is sort of out of context, but I have to ask you because I loved it so much and I want them to hear it. Your grandmother has three essentials <laughs> for a serious marriage proposal.
1: Yeah. And she's
0: talking to women.
1: She's talking to women. Yeah.
0: So here are three essentials for a serious marriage proposal. What are they?
1: Okay, so my mom, my grandmother told me never to take a proposal serious unless you had a ring on your finger, a date on the calendar, and an appointment with a minister. <laughs>
0: That's funny because when somebody when a couple comes to me and says we want to do premarital with you, the first thing I say is, do you have a date? Cuz apparently they have two of the three. They're asking me for an appointment, right. and I'm assuming she's got a ring, but do they have a date? Right. And, I, and I think the date thing is, is like that's, that's when you know yes. that there's an actual commitment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Um, oh, you okay? Oh, I thought I You're was not done. leaving. <laughs> I thought I was done.
0: <laughs> is there some weird nonverbal <laughs> no, communication going on?
1: No, I thought. I thought that was wrapping it up. I'm sorry. So we in the midst struggling. of that
0: also, though, um, you you had this line about a relationship that you had in the past where you discovered that, that the person's fear
1: right.
0: was greater than his love for you. Correct. Talk talk a little bit about that. Because, again, that I, just, I sit there, I hear things like that, and I go, oh, my goodness, this is just so, first of all, it's biblical, but it's also just practical and true. Yeah.
1: So um, I was living and working in New York, and I, I met a man. He's about nine or ten years older than us, and we clicked, and um, we had a, started a relationship, and um, got to the point where we were talking marriage, and we had set a date, and we went to go to the um, go to the to the appointment. But prior to that, prior to the appointment, the appointment kind of put some some things in motion. The appointment with the with the pastor
0: like pressure
1: yeah and so <laughs> I was hearing things like you know I'm really af- I'm really af- really afraid of the feelings that I'm having for you they're really strong feelings but they're just overwhelming me and I'm really scared of them um, I'm I'm terrified of commitment I don't know if I, I can be committed um, um, I'm scared of marriage I, I've been married before and I'm just scared of the whole thing crumbling again and I said, well, that's why we're going to talk to the to the pastor. We're going to talk to him and you know get get a kind of like a third party um, observation on this. And we met with him. He asked, the pastor asked him one question, and that one question was, "Tell me." and He started with the gentleman, "Tell me about your walk with the Lord, okay?" And it just was like it was like all over the place, right? <laughs> And then it got to me, and I said, you know what? Um, uh, we've taken up way too much of your time. Uh, it's time for us to leave. And so we, we left, <laughs> left, and we didn't even get under the doorway of the pastor's office. We're walking out. And I looked at him, and I said, we're not getting married. And, and I, at that point, realized that all of that fear that he was expressing, all of that fear was greater than the love that he had for me. Okay. And I didn't want to go into a relationship with somebody that was more fearful than more consumed with love, that was consumed more with fear than was consumed with love.
0: Yeah, that's really good. And you know, we live in a world of fear now. Fear is the predominant emotion among people in our culture now. And that's what we're constantly trying to allay. And, And we have this incredible, not only Savior and Messiah, but example in Christ who loved more than yes. he feared. Yes, loved more than he feared. And and that's a beautiful picture. Is there a question that I didn't ask that you wish I had asked, and what would be your answer to it? There yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Let's hear it. So this is your last question, so you get to oh, leave. Okay, get it. to leave out. Actually, <laughs> you don't, because Kim's going to come up and we're going to pray for you. Okay. Okay. Uh,
1: um, I I just want to know if Adam and Eve are in heaven.
0: Oh boy, that's an interesting question. Um. Uh, are Adam and Eve in heaven? Um, I can't say definit. My opinion is I can't say definitively, but my guess is that they are. Okay. Um, it's so much easier to ask about somebody like Nebuchadnezzar, because I have a testimony from him. Yeah. You know, uh, that 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 seems to be true, but. Um, Adam and Eve did not commit the unforgivable right. forgivable sin.
1: Right. Right.
0: They still believed in God, mm-hmm. uh, and and even people who believe in God. Um, by the way, I'm answering the question. <laughs> um, uh, the people who believe, yeah. people who believe in God, still sin. Right. The unforgivable sin is, is to not believe in mm-hmm. Christ, right. and that's really clear throughout Scripture. Right. And and in fact. I think there was a pastor who this last Sunday talked about that in the sermon. Yeah, a yeah. Uh, pastor mustache. Has it, by the way, has anybody noticed um, that there seems to be a correlation with the thicker and longer uh, Tyler's pa- uh, mustache gets, the better his preaching is. <laughs> so this is becoming like um, what's Samson. If he cuts, if he if he cuts off his mustache, he's going to lose all of his preaching power. You know, so anyway, Kim, would you come up with me? Um, could you thank um, Michelle for... Thank you. Let me pray for you guys. Uh, Father God, I am so grateful and thankful that uh, you have brought uh, Kim and Michelle here and um, uh, just their quiet behind the scenes leadership uh, has been such a blessing to this community. Um, uh, the way they observe and they, uh, they participate when asked and then, and then uh, at times when we really need insight uh, they are a couple that we go to often and we're just so thankful for uh, the gifts that you've given them and then they have been given to us uh, so God I pray for your favor and your blessing on them giving them your wisdom and insight always uh, and instilling them the hope of the gospel always as well uh, God, we love you, and we
1: thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, thank Michelle. You, Appreciate it. Thank you. Oh.